When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. We are backed by Ladbrooks. Go to bet.chelseapodcast.net for exclusive specials and promotions that we have got. Right, thank you all very much for coming. Um, I'm very pleased to announce that the Chelsea are going to um, record um, their uh, podcast. And uh, Andy Smith, we're all here for him. It's a Regenerate um, charity night. And um, thank you very much to everybody who's written for the fanzine, everybody who's bought one. And uh, thanks for turning up tonight. Thank you. Dave Johnston, hurry up. So, yeah, just to let everyone know, this is the Chelsea and it's live. And we're going to be having a chat about the games last week and uh, the one we've just seen. It's, it's a very strange thing to be doing a podcast straight after a game. Normally you can have a little think about it. But uh, here we are. And I'm joined tonight by two of our stalwart regulars. We have Mr. Gary Hayes. And we also have Mr. Andy Saunders here. Andy, I just want to say congratulations. You are all over Twitter with your uh, A&R awards that you uh, hosted this week. And it was quite an event, wasn't it? You must have been really happy. It was great. I love the fact there was absolutely no applause for you, Gary. It was great. <laughs> all these people in the room that have been trolling you for years. I love it for your idiotic opinions. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a good week, actually. I do this award ceremony called the A&R Awards, which is a music industry thing, so that was fun. Um, but, yeah, we're not here to talk about... We're here to talk about two pretty bang-average games, really. Um, we should probably start about Thursday's game. That's 90 minutes we won't get back, isn't it? I haven't seen it yet. What do you mean you haven't seen it? Where have you been? I was in Milan sharing a hotel room with him. <laughs> That's why he's walking bow-legged. <laughs> I'll tell you, that, that was one of the strangest sights of my life was uh, when you called me into your room and you were just reclining like some 1950s uh, starlet. It was the weirdest moment of my life. Luckily, he was flashing so much, I discovered he wears boxers. So it was, it was, it was okay, but it was a bit terrifying and I'm a little damaged by the events. But um, anyway, we're here. So yeah, last Thursday, Bate, it was a, a strange old game by the sounds of it. Um, they gave it quite a lot and uh, we found it quite difficult to survive with it. We were, okay, we weren't at the game because we were in Milan for the uh, next-gen tennis tournament, which is the top eight players who are under 21 in the world today. So you had... Why were we there? Because we... <laughs> you really want to know? Okay. We were there because we've been doing uh, se several articles for Ace magazine over the summer, and then we thought it'd be quite nice to get into uh, talking to the players and discovering what motivates these young players and young tennis players, what gets the, the psychology of becoming a tennis player from being uh, a, a young person with potential 
into becoming somebody who is a genuine contender. So we were there with some of the top players in the world, young players in the world, and we're going to do a series of podcasts about them and how they've got to where they are so far. It's about their journey through the professional ranks. So there we go. So Bate, on Thursday, we missed, but it was a bit of a shocker, wasn't it? It was hard work and... Um, yeah, so... The reason we're talking rather stiltedly is we've only got one microphone because our sound engineer, who's actually an Arsenal fan, um, didn't bring any more uh, microphones. Um, so it's, it's a little bit stilted, so I apologise for that. I did actually watch the, Bar- the Barté game. I didn't go. Respect to anybody here who went, because that was... Uh, that, hands up who went to the, uh, to the game. Yep, Dave obviously went. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a, that, was a, that was a good effort, um, but uh, it, was a, it was a terrible game. Um, 5.55 kickoff, um, you know, just, uh, yeah. look, I think if you, we, we can skate over the game, really, because it was job done. Uh, we did, you know, we did what we had to do. Giroud got a goal. I never thought Giroud was ever going to score again, but he's got a goal. Goalkeeper probably should have saved it, but, you know, it was a goal. Um, but it's definitely 90 minutes we won't get back. And um, I don't think there's an awful lot more to say. It was a pub team. We made hard work of it. Can I just ask about Giroud if anyone thinks he should be scoring goals? I don't think he needs to. I know the manager said that as well, but I think that what he does is the pivot point with Hazard and Willian or Hazard and Pedro. I think that's what he's in that side to do. And he's not a prolific goal scorer and you don't need him to be a perfect goal scorer and you're meant to have Hazard and Pedro scoring the goal so I don't think that's even an issue that that was his first goal it's not it's not an issue and I, I totally agree with you my point was being that you know having watched him play he didn't look like he was ever going to score a goal again so I'm pleased that he did listen I love Giroud I think he's I think he's a really good player I think you're absolutely right that he performs a very specific role within the side which is to hold the ball up to bring other people into the game I think he's a lot better when he comes on later in a game, 20 minutes to go, cause chaos in the box. You know, I think he's, uh, I think he's, I think he's fine at what he does, but you know, he took his header very well. But as I say, I don't think there's an awful lot more to say about the game. It was, you know, it was a, it was a tough game against the pub team. Just on a wider point for Giroud, I think that's why, who made the comment about Morata always being offside earlier? But I just think that people should get off his back a little bit because I think it's not his fault. Because they're used to playing a certain way with Giroud and then Morata comes in and he's making such good runs off the ball. They're not spotting him. And then by the time they do spot him, he's offside. So I think it's an issue with those players behind him. And now Hazard has decided he wants to go Madrid and needs to score more goals. He's more greedier in those areas. Like you saw him today have a 30-yard shot that he would never have taken last year. And that's, I think that's damaging to Morata. I know it's not a popular opinion, but I think if you had players that actually wanted to feed into the striker that you'd get a striker scoring more goals. And I think Giroud is maybe a problem in that because he's so... He's, well, he's, not sel- he's so unselfish that it means the room's gone quiet. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion. But I think that, you know, because they're willing to pivot off him, whereas Morata doesn't want to do it. He wants to be getting the ball and running through, and it's almost like what happened with Torres. And I just feel for him because he gets criticism, but he gets in the positions and they don't pick him out. I think, I think it's interesting. I think this becomes a real issue when we don't score enough goals in, in games. And we start looking at Giroud finally getting goals because actually, you're right, Andy, he is the main fulcrum point. When we play with him, then everyone else is expected to score. But when they don't, the focus always seems to come back onto the centre forward, rightly or wrongly. But if William, Pedro, Hazard, whoever's playing up there, doesn't score after having linked up with, with uh, Giroud, everyone starts going, oh, he's not going to score. And it's an interesting phenomenon. The, the, the one thing you would say about this, inverted commas, Sarri ball that we're playing this year is that 
we play some really beautiful, fluid, flowing football. They're very attacking. We have a lot of chances, but we still are not putting teams away. Um, we'll move on to today in a minute, and we'll discuss what we think about that. But I think all these things become more magnified the, the less goals that we score overall. And I know it's been a bugbear of yours. You know, when I say, I love Kovacic, but you say, yeah, but is he going to get enough goals? We love, we love Ross Barkley. He started scoring some. He's had a couple of very strange games. Um, we, we, you know, Jorginho doesn't look as though he's going to get more than three or four shots away in about eight or nine games. We, we are bereft of goals at the moment in critical areas. Kante, again, doesn't look comfortable when he knows he could take a shot. So I think, I think when we don't get goals from other areas of the pitch, we start focusing on the strikers because, in a way, we still look at strikers as the main man to score goals. And in Sarri's system, that isn't necessarily the case. I think I agree with, with kind of most of that, really. Um, I don't think Murata played terribly today. I mean, he was frustrating that he was offside so much. I think he probably broke the world record for being offside. Um, but, you know, he's playing on the shoulder. He's playing on the shoulder of the last man. He's probably been told to play on the shoulder of the last man. Um, I don't think he was particularly intelligent in his positioning today. But I don't think he was awful. You know, I, I think you're right about there being too much of a focus on him. I think, you know, I've said on social media, for those of you that... You know that, that have seen that. That I think that a lot of people want him to fail. They want to be proven right. That you know that the you know that their opinion of him being a poor player is right. So it frustrates me that he gets probably a little bit more grief than than other players do. I don't think we necessarily play to his strengths, which is to feed the ball through. Um, but you know, some of his decision making was poor today. I think first half, you know, decision making generally was poor all round. But second half, we really picked it up. I think one of the problems in the first half was that we played far too narrow. Far too narrow. And we just played very much into their hands. And it was frustrating that William was peeling off of the left back a lot. And Luis just wasn't seeing him or wasn't willing to play the ball. Second half, we started playing that ball. We stretched the game a lot more. We created a lot more chances. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, really frustrating, I think, rather than terrible. It annoys me that whenever Morata puts a foot wrong, that people just get very, very angry with him. But they don't give that kind of abuse to other players. You know, there are other players in the midfield that make equally as many mistakes as him. But your point about the lack of goals in the team is worrying. You know, when we've come from watching a Chelsea over the last, you know, five or ten years, when we've had Essiens and Balaks and Ramirez's and midfield, Lampard, obviously, midfield players that will score you ten-plus goals a season, I struggle to find where the goals are going to come from. You know, I've said this a lot, but it, it is difficult and it does put a lot of pressure on the strikers. Which is why Kante shouldn't be playing. Yeah. Well, you know, we've all we've all we've all listened to you, Gary, and we've all you know I oh, know he's a World Cup winner, he's a player of the year in twenty seventeen, but he's not good enough in that position. I'd play Barkley there. I'd play Kovacic, Jorginho and Barkley, or Loftus Cheek. And that's not because I don't think Kante's a good player, but he's just being wasted. And the point I've made before is that it's like getting Gallas playing at left back when Jose bought Carvalho in. Jorginho is Sarri's man. He's going to play there. Carvalho is Jose's man. He, he was going to play alongside JT. So Gallas was a, an excellent defender, a brilliant defender, and he had to play out of position. And Chelsea didn't really look balanced properly until we brought Ashley Cohen in 2006. And that's when that defence looked more fluid and going forward. And so, just to quickly add, and then eventually you saw one of the best attacking Chelsea sides in 09-10 under Ancelotti when they became the first team to score over 100 Premier League goals and who's a big part of that Ashley Cole and with Galas that was always a problem but isn't, isn't Kante 
an insurance policy for, for allowing Jorginho to quarterback, allowing him to, to sit back in pockets of space and, 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 and play it again, which he, to be fair, he didn't do very much of today. It doesn't, doesn't Kante give you that insurance to allow those front three to play with freedom? No, because the, the insurance under Sarri and the insurance in teams that play that style is the possession. Chelsea don't close out matches now by sitting deep and getting players behind the ball and digging in. They win matches by stopping the other team from having the ball. That's the, way, that's the way Chelsea want to play football now. And when you've got a midfielder like Kante in there, it's disjointed and you've seen it today. Everton are able to stop the way Chelsea play, they stop it being fluid, and then they make a sub too late when they bring Barkley on who just couldn't get into the game. And he was itching to get on. He was, he was right in where I was sat. He was right there in front of me. And the whole time, he was warming up, just looking at Sarri in the second half, itching to get on. And they bring Kovacic off and they should have done the other thing. They should have bought... Uh, Kante off and it was interesting in telling that he bought off Jorginho as well why because there's too many sideway passes Cesc comes on suddenly they're trying to get in behind they're, they're playing that ball from deep trying to get in and I just think that it's disjointed that you're going to get found out at times and when I came in earlier Mark said the same thing we've been sussed and if you sit deep with this side and you allow Kante if you notice they allow Kante to have the ball and they were rushing Kovacic on Jorginho because when Kante's got it there's no threat there because he's a good player, but he's playing too far wide and too far forward. If he plays in the pocket like Jorginho does, that's where he's good. So he's just a victim of circumstance. But then you need players either side. Kovacic doesn't score enough goals. But then you need another player on the other side who's going to do that. And at the moment, Chelsea don't. And that's why you see a nil-nil draw today. Look, there's, there's, bizarrely, there's some sense in what you say. But, um, but look, I just think as well that what... what, what Kante does give you is winning the ball high up the pitch. You know, he is closing players down high up the pitch and putting us on the front foot high up the pitch. I know what you're saying. He's not playing the same role as he played for Leicester and he's not playing the same role as he played for us in his first season, which is sit deep and break play up. But he is pressing and, and winning the ball higher up the pitch, which is... Well, you're right. I mean, you know, if... You... How many assists has Kante got this year? I don't think he's got any. And you look at Barkley, he's, he's only got one, but... He got the assist doing what Kante is supposed to be doing against Southampton. Pressed them really high, read the play, got the ball in there, quick release to Hazard, 1-0. And that's what Kante, if you're going to you know, say he's up there for that, that's what he should be doing and he's not even doing that. So I feel for him because it's not like I, I don't like him or I think he's a rubbish player, but I just think that he's being played out of position. And it's almost like throwing JT in goal and saying, go on, be JT, and he's never going to be that player. Yeah, but JT liked going in goal, didn't he? <laughs> so, I'd be interested to know what someone like Kante makes of it. I mean, by all accounts, is yeah, we, we we could try, but he seems like a very humble person. I think he'd just do whatever he's asked to do. He seems like that kind of guy. But I do that was you just and he just did an Eric Morecambe, and suddenly his glasses are all over the side of his head, which is quite amusing. But um, I, I think I think it's it's still I think Sarri's one of those people. He tries things and he waits and he waits. I don't think he makes rash decisions. I think he's trying to make the Kante situation and scenario work. Um, there's also been I, okay, moving on to someone else um and i think this is something that's quite interesting is i tell you who's been getting a little bit of stick around where i am is uh david luis um he plays the most incredible balls at times he he is another release for that big diagonal looping ball out, out to alonso rudiger does it as well quite well but at times luis when he's coming out gives the ball away a lot more and he's been doing that a lot more recently well First thing to notice is beginning of the second half, we all line up NFL-wise in the scrimmage on the, on the halfway line. The usual back to Rudiger, lays it off Louise, 
pings it like he always does to the left-hand side. And we almost scored, like, for almost the first time that that's been happening this season. So it, do, it does work, you know. I mean, as I said, I think earlier on, in the first half, I was getting very frustrated with Louise's inability to pick the ball when the players were in space. When we were playing narrow, it meant Everton were coming very narrow. There was lots of space on the, on, for the fullbacks to move into. He just wasn't picking it. Second half, I think he was told to move the ball forward. My problem with David Louise is is I think he's a wonderful player. I think for 98% of the game, he's absolutely bulletproof. I just think that other 2%, when he's a little bit sloppy, when he gets himself the wrong side, when he gives the ball away, it concerns me, you know. And I think that it didn't hurt us today. We didn't concede today. But there were still a couple of moments today when, you know, when, when I found he was just a little bit sloppy, you know, in terms of playing the ball into traffic. Um, so it, it's better it's better than it has been. I think that, you know, you can't doubt that looking at the unbeaten record, looking at the clean sheets, looking at, you know, what we've achieved, that David Louise isn't doing a brilliant job at the back with Rudiger. I just, he still concerns me. With Louise, though, he's just checked. He's fourth in the passing charts this season. 865 passes, so just behind Rudiger and Jorginho and uh, Laporte at City. So if you want to be upset if he's passing, but when he's making that many breaks and that many opportunities in a game there's going to be some that go astray but the fact that he's fourth in successful passes in the entire Premier League shows why he's in this side because he's doing his job he might not do it you know 1% of the time but he's doing his job that's why he's in the side so when you're moving the ball that much there's going to be times when you give it away so I think it's a it's not a valid criticism of him you know it's, it's almost like saying that a goalkeeper doesn't make enough saves but He's in front of a, a poor, de- wait, a poor, wait, wait, he's in front of a poor defence. So he might concede more goals than, a, than a, another goalkeeper. But because the defence is so poor, look at the saves that he is making. Look at the passes that he is making. It's a totally a valid criticism to, to say that you know for for some percentage of the game he's sloppy. It's a totally valid criticism. I know what you're saying. I mean, absolutely. The fact that he gets the ball a lot and he's in a position to quarterback a lot and pass the ball a lot, absolutely he's going to make mistakes. It's often a criticism of Cesc Fabregas that, you know, he gives the ball away a lot, but, but he's trying a lot. So I get it. I understand it. I don't not like David Luiz and I don't, and I'm not down on David Luiz at all. But I think it's a valid criticism to say occasionally there is a sloppy pass, you know, and, and that, you know, that really concentration maybe for 100% of the game is, is an issue that he has to deal with. Can I just, I'm just going to change the subject for one minute because there's always a divide across social media with match-going fans and non-match-going fans. And this week, which Mark will attest to, there's been a lot of turd about Gary Cahill. Um, and because we're talking about defenders, defenders getting criticised. But So I just thought, in this room, just so you know whether it's a divide between non-match-going fans and match-going fans... The general opinion of Cahill, not now, but just his legacy at Chelsea, because I think it's really interesting that people that, from my view, I could be wrong, that go to matches appreciate what he's done for the club, but then people that aren't necessarily there, that don't see him, they see him for 90 minutes on NBC in Alaska, and or NBC in Serbia or somewhere, and they don't necessarily see what he is as a player and as a person, so I just thought I'd go to the room and see what a show of hands if you think that he's a, been a good servant for the club. Yeah, there you go. And I, no, I don't... Yeah, so I think everyone put their hand up. And, I, and the reason I bring it up is because it's, again, something that Dave has to put up with as well, where people say that he's criticising non-match-going fans, and I don't think he is. But 
it's just interesting the, the, the perception you get of a player having seen him play, you know, whereas on TV, you're, I'm watching Chelsea more on TV now because I'm not reporting on the club and it's difficult because you're watching a player and you're being dictated by a TV director and they're channeling where you're, what you're seeing. And obviously as a game, you can watch a player and watch him off the ball and see what he's doing, which is why you talk about Morata, that a lot of the abuse he might get on social media is because they're not seeing what he's doing up the other end because... Kepa's got the ball and that's where the, that's where the camera is because it's all about the ball and it's just disappoints me because we're talking about David Luiz that Gary Cahill a player that okay I'll have a biased opinion because I've got to know him well having worked with him and he's a person who understands the club in my view he's a great connection even though he's not playing I think he's a great connection where John Terry did the same thing where he keeps the culture of the club going from past to present to future and you take him out of this squad now and even David Luiz I guess but then where is the connection to what Chelsea were? And Chelsea are changing, and maybe for the better or worse, who knows? And they've got a different style of football now. But this new Chelsea, what is it becoming? And I think people like Cahill, they keep that you know, fabric of the club going. And I think that sometimes people that might not necessarily come to matches don't understand that. Uh, took, well, I think that was 17 minutes before you brought Gary Cahill up. It was not, not bad. It's, it's, it's valid because of where we are. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, like, we, I think we all, we've been very vocal on podcast about, about Gary Cahill and about what we think he's achieved for the club. And I think we're all agreed that he's probably coming to his end, very much to the end of his time at Chelsea. And I don't think any of us would, would be making a case for him to start in a Premier League game or to, you know, to, to take the place of someone like David Luiz. But it's in interesting to see everybody's hand go up there because I think people that do go and see football live and do support Chelsea live understand that there's more to a player's game than whether what they do on the pitch there's more about culturally what what a player brings to the club and I think that unfortunately football these days is you know is the preserve of all sorts of people there is a kind of entitlement amongst um, people that watch football a FIFA kind of playing entitlement where they think that players are robots and they have to 100% of the time perform and we know that players aren't robots that they're fallible but we also know what they bring to a club culturally as well as professionally. Quite right. And uh, more importantly, talking about retirement, I really want to know what's happened to Stamford the Lion. Have you not noticed? He's no longer ginger. He's got black hair. It's just wrong, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I am going to set up a group, we need our Stamford back. Have you not seen? Have you not? T- today I was absolutely shocked. And his missus has had a haircut as well. It's black now. Yeah, he's he's doing a Bono, but I mean, you know, I mean, I think Bono was going a bit grey, you know, to be fair. But Stanford, Stanford was full on flush ginger, you know, and uh, I, I think we need to know why. Well. You bring up Stanford the Lion in terms of retirement. I'm going to bring up Didier Drogba, who um, who retired this week. And I think that, you know, it's time to reflect a little bit on, you know, there's been this, this debate going on this week about what, what a legend is, what, what defines what a legend is. Is Gary Cahill a legend? Are trophies enough to say he's a legend? Is the word legend reserved for players that reach rarefied air? You know, I mean, that's, I think, probably not a debate for this time. But I think we can all agree in this room that Didier Drogba is a stone cold legend and the fact that um, that he's retired this week has given us a chance to reflect what an incredible player he was and what an amazing player he was for the club in my view a legend is someone who is hobbling on a hamstring and plays 120 minutes in Munich when there's no other defenders and wins Chelsea the Champions League that's my view of a legend 
But then my other view of a legend is someone who's got the bottle to stand up and take a penalty that he should have taken in 2008, knows the cock-up he made, and then four years later repays what he should have done in Moscow. That, to me, is a legend, and that's what Drogba and Cahill are. I think, I think it's uh, good words there. Um, and also, you know, there is something to be taken from the whole Drogba situation to remember about, say, Maratta, say, Giroud. I mean, we can all remember when Drogba started and he was falling over and we used to go, oh, my God, somebody's flicked an eyelash of his when he went tumbling down to the ground or something. And he made a spectacle of himself for just over a year, really. And then suddenly found his feet and started understanding what he needed to do. The thing is with Drogba, it was the first three seasons and then the penny dropped against United in the 2007 FA Cup final. Lamps jinxed that ball into him, he scores, and that's when Drogba became Drogba. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I think also as well, it, it's, it's tempting to look at you know, strikers that we've had in the past, Costa, Drogba, and think that every single game they played was incredible, and it, and it wasn't. You know, there were plenty of times where Drogba had a stinker, where he rolled about on the floor, or Costa went disappearing, or you know, got cross with people and ended up getting into arguments with people and not playing football. You know, f- the point I'm making is that players are fallible. They're not robots. You know, then they're, they're not going to have a great game every single game. And you know, we can look back at Drogba and Costa, and the stats don't lie, and you know, those performances don't lie. But I think it's far too early to be writing some of our players. Off. And on, on Drogba, I'm sure everyone here remembers 2006, 1-0 against Arsenal. And he, no, it's 2005-2006 season, 1-0 um, against Arsenal at the bridge. And he sort of fluffs the ball into the net. And 10 minutes earlier before that, he was having a pop at the fans in the Matthew Harding lower because he was having a bad game and they were getting on his back. And then you think you fast forward to Munich and he's rightly given this godlike status. So he had the, you know, the luxury of time on his side. You, know, you look at the stats and they're great, but his first two seasons he scored 15 Premier League goals in each season. That's not... You know, we were being made fun of, of, oh, you've got all this money, but 24 million to Marseille, you've wasted it. And you know, he became a star by being at Chelsea because that's what the, the transfer policy was. We were spending big money on players, but they weren't stars. They became stars at Chelsea. And because he was Jose's boy, he had the time. And I think if you look at Morata, maybe as he acclimatises more, that he'll hopefully go on to do something similar. But it's about time, and he's young enough, he's a similar age to what Drogba was, and he's young enough to hopefully you know, go on and achieve something. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Um, talking about uh, Didier Drogba, we've got uh, somebody here. We've got Andy Smith from Regenerate. Um, and I believe, Andy, you're famous for, for uh, keepy-uppies with Didier Drogba, aren't you? Yeah, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> now, a couple of years ago, I uh, got a text from a mate that said, um, oh, what are you doing next week? And I said... Um, I've got quite a few things on. He's like, oh, that's a shame. I wanted to know if you wanted to come on an all-expenses-paid trip to the Ivory Coast with me and Didier Drogba. So I was like, oh, no, I've got nothing on. So this geezer basically wanted me, he was doing a little ad, like an advert thing with Didier Drogba. He wanted me just to go as his sidekick and help film his stuff. that He does YouTube stuff. So I went along and, um, yeah, I messed up the whole advert they did with Drogba because I got a bit starstruck. And um, yeah, there's a whole story. I could tell you the whole story, but I'll be chatting for a bit. All right, the story goes. <laughs> they said to me, the people that were doing this like, advert, 
They said, with Drogba's coming in in a helicopter, because he can't drive from the airport to this village where he's doing this advert, because he is like a god in the Ivory Coast. He's like the king. He brought peace to their country. So he has to fly in a helicopter. He's going to come in a helicopter. They said to me, Andy, make sure you just stay well out of the way, because I've been getting in the way the whole time. said, make sure you stay well out of the way. Anyway, Drogba comes a couple of hours late, and I kind of forgot they told me to stay out of the way. The idea was they were filming him as he got out of the helicopter, walking through all these kids in the village, and then he was opening a school. And um, he comes in the helicopter, and it, he got out of the helicopter. He looked like no one, no one knew what was going on. I thought, I'd just need to go and say hello. So I went over, said hello, Didier, ended up having a good chat with him. We started walking along this kind of path with all these kids following us. I thought, this is nice, it's just me and Didier. And then I saw the whole camera crew just shouting at me, telling me, like pointing, get in the woods, get in the woods. And I was like, oh, so I just kind of walking along and just suddenly just walked off into the woods to the side. And they told me I completely, I won't use their language, they said I completely messed up the whole shoot. But um, it was great. I had a great time with Didier. Nice bloke. I was only there for, he was only with us for a day, but we did kick-ups and stuff. Managed to get it filmed, and I've tweeted that and retweeted it and retweeted it again. You know, me doing kick-ups with drugs. But yeah, that was my Didier Drogba story. <laughs> Cheers. And why wouldn't you retweet it if you could, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, we're here tonight. We've got the 200th issue of the fanzine. We've got also you here for the Regenerate. I w- wonder if you'd just tell us a little bit about your work so that we can know, so that everyone who's here can hear you talk about it and then everyone on who listens to the podcast can hear about it and keep some momentum going for you from this night. Brilliant. Um, Yeah, so Regenerate's a charity based on a big housing estate called the Alton Estate in Roehampton. And uh, it's a estate where I live and it's been going a long time. I started it about 18 years ago when I was in my early 20s with a great mate who's here tonight somewhere, Walter Rotten, who writes for the CFC UK fanzine. Don't know where he is right now. But um, yeah, we started the charity basically to try and make a difference in the community. And um, we started off with like football clubs with, you know, jumpers for goals. We started a lunch club for pensioners. And then over the years, we just run loads of projects trying to make a difference in the area we live. Um, so we now we've got a couple of youth centres, work a lot with young people coming out of kind of gangs and crime. And so a lot of young people that have been coming to our clubs um, have, got, have been involved in a bit of trouble before. But a lot of people say, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to get out. I don't want to sell crack. I don't want to... I don't want to spend my life going in and out of prison. So we've set up projects to try and help those sort of young people. Um, one of the projects is a sandwich business called the Feel Good Bakery. So we create jobs for these young guys as they're turning their lives around, making sandwiches and then delivering them to offices all around London. And we try and provide mentors and support, and it's the first job for these guys. And that's, yeah, that's one of the projects we do. We run a number of different schemes and projects just trying to make a difference and trying to show people that anything is possible as well if they've if you had a bit of a rough start growing up in life and things haven't gone your way but we're just trying to get alongside the young people in our community and help them make a difference with their lives so the exciting thing for me is that the ones that we set out to try and help they're the ones actually who are doing incredible things we've got guys that have started businesses now really successful we've got guys that have started social enterprise and charitable stuff all over the world we've had teams going out to kenya zambia south africa romania and it's all young people from our estates who've had a difficult time making a difference and so yeah regenerate is all about trying to change the world make a difference and it's things like this things like dave choosing to do this night um 
celebrating 200 editions of the CFC UK, but bringing Regenerate into the mix. It just brings more people alongside to support what we're doing, and we're really grateful for that. Oh, thank you very much, Andy. And just before you go, if you can just tell everyone the web address to go to so that we can make sure everyone gets to it. Okay, check out the website. It's regenerateuk.co.uk. And regenerateuk.co.uk. Got it. And finally, and where can we see the Didier Drogba footage? Uh, check out Regenerate Andy on Twitter. <laughs> Regenerate Andy on Twitter. That's fine. Here's the other Andy. Brilliant stuff. Dave, I think you wanted to um, come up and do a little bit of a, 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 a raffle for the... Um, uh... I've, got to, um, I've got some um, Chelsea. Uh, I've got a county. I've got three shirts and a signed football to um, raffle off. I'm going to... Um, and I've got some more bits over here. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to um, go around in a minute, sell five raffle tickets for a fiver, all to go towards um, Andy Smith and his next trip to um, the Ivory Coast to play football with Didier Drogba. And um, if you can all um, help, or if I've even ever given you a free fanzine, stick a pound in the um, bucket and it's all going to go to um, Andy. And uh, we'll do the draw once I see how many tickets I can get rid of. Hurry up. Thanks very much, Dave. Um, Going back to the game. I, look, let's uh, just talk about a couple of players, a couple of things that caught my eye. I thought Marcus Alonso was brilliant today. You know, uh, I, found, I thought both fullbacks were good. Dave's coming for a little bit of criticism this season, but I thought he was really good today, particularly defensively. And I think that once we started to play with a little bit of width, we really started to see what we can do with fullbacks. Yeah, I think you look at Alonso especially, he's the. I don't know, it's strange because he's been predicted for failure when we signed him, and he redefined the wing back and now he's been moved back to left back he looks just as comfortable doesn't he and uh, I think that width is so important the way Chelsea play especially when teams are sitting so deep and you need to really pull them out to create those pockets um, and that effort that he had to hit the post was incredible yeah I, I agree with you Andy I think Marcus Alonso was you know by far the best player on the pitch today the other one I'd like to, well there's two other people I'll go, I'll go with Kepper first because I think we, we, in certain ways, all, people around me and things and people I know have been saying, we don't quite know how good a goalkeeper he is because he hasn't had that many shots to save. And I think it's really interesting that he's had a few shots and we've seen him and week by week we're starting to discover he's actually a very good keeper. But the way that he distributes the ball, I don't think we've ever had a keeper quite like him. There was that great pass that he came out with against Palace last week um, today he would be not letting the ball go out for a goal kick he'd be racing over there to stop it going out where most keepers let it go and he keeps everything flowing from the back and I think this makes a real difference to the way that we play out from the back he's always on the move and he's always looking to keep the ball active do you not think that's quite an unusual thing for us now? I think it's definitely um, clear to see that under Conte we were really struggling to get the ball out the back and I think Courtois was not uh, a great exponent of getting the ball out but uh, but Kepa certainly made a difference and, and we're doing that you know we know where the problems are we're not scoring enough goals simple as that you know we need to figure that out and I think we'll be um, you know I think we'll be right up there but it's the draws that kill you it's always the draws that kill you you know I think we're still I mean I don't know about you but I think top four would be would be still be an achievement this year I can't see us pushing on and winning it I mean I love Chelsea but frankly we're just going to draw too many games I don't think we'll lose too many um, so really really frustrating 
but you know we are still unbeaten. I think we've got to take the positives out of the game and move forward. And just on Kepa, thank you, Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> nice one. Okay, so we've got the international, dreaded international break coming up. How many people like the international break here? No, there's two people there. <laughs> okay, no, that's good. And Gary. Okay, well, there's somebody who will buy you a drink later, so you'll be all right. There you go. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, we do find that momentum stops for a while. But then we come back and we've got, who have we got then after that? Does, Spurs. Mm, that's going to be an interesting and tasty little game. Um, and, uh, oh, are we playing that at their new place? Oh, really? Why is that? Isn't it because they've got rubbish electricians? We should have a sing song in, in memory of what happened last year. That's Barkers. <laughs> well, I know you did. Yeah. We should all do it. But um, anyway, so yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, it is, it is quite a surprise that we're going to be playing at Wembley and things. Um, but it's going to be a tough old game. I mean, they're a funny side this year. They look as though they're moving forward and getting it together, and then they don't. It's going to be a real tough test for us, isn't it? That whole, whole thing with Tottenham. Do you think they're going to be a threat to us? I don't want to have to look Chelsea fans in the eye and talk about this. Because they're a good team. And that's all I've got to say. If I was privately in our studio, I'd be more coherent. But I feel the pressure of praising Spurs in front of... Someone else speak. But they are Spurs. They're very Spursy. So, you know, and we've got a very good record against them. So I'm not concerned about it. I'm not, look, I'm not concerned about any game we're playing. I think we're good enough. I think we can go to, to Wembley and give them a hell of a game. Absolutely. I think we can go to Wolves. I think we can play any of these games. I even think we can give City a game. Problem is, can we finish them off? Can we score the goals to finish them off? I'm not concerned about playing any team. I'm not, I don't feel like we're, we should be in any way cowed by any team. I think we're, we're as good as any team in Europe. We just lack goals. That's the problem. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line so um it'll be interesting it's it's always interesting to come back after the international break i can't remember the last really big game that we had straight after an international break don't know but maybe it's what we need maybe it's what will get the juices flowing as they say so okay well let's go for prediction time i'm gonna go first for a change i'm gonna go yeah i love them they really annoy so many people especially when i get one right in a season and then talk about it you're, you can't abstain. I'm going to go for 2-1 Chelsea. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a tight game. 1-0. 2-1. 2-2. <laughs> <laughs> Good right you do know there is only one door out of this place and one two three four five windows so (laughs) pick a window okay well that might happen well we're just about out of time um i'd just like to say on behalf of the chels thanks ever so much to dave johnson for inviting us and congratulations maybe there may be more hundreds of fanzines coming along 200 million frank lampard there you go there you go so and we'd also like to say good luck to regenerate and uh, andy smith thank you very much for regaling us and telling us more about it we hope all of you have an absolutely fantastic night it's wonderful to be part of it hurry up that's been the chills this is a playback media production get all the associated links for this podcast at chelsea podcast Net. The Chelsea is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Sports Social Podcast Network.